Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your son. Lord Jesus, thank you for bearing our sins. Thank you for leaving your throne to set us free. Thank you for being the bread of heaven that has come for us. Lord Jesus, bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Just to kind of set the stage where we are in our journey through Scripture, the exodus has happened in, in uh, Egypt, and they've crossed, crossed through the Red Sea miraculously, and, and God has protected his people. And for us today, one thing I want to point out, there's such a tendency when we come to Scripture, we, we love doing character studies. What can we learn from Moses? What can we learn from Abraham? And that's fine. That's good. But I want you to know the primary connection we have as we read through Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, is the nation of Israel. When we, when we travel through our lives as the church, it's like, what can we learn from the nation of Israel? What did they do right? What did they do wrong? How do we operate as the church? So today, when we get to the text, I want you to just be considering, okay, what, what is this group of people, and I'm an individual in it, what, do, what am I learning from this passage? What, what am I learning from the nation of Israel as they journeyed as God's people. So keep that in mind. Um, I never liked oatmeal when I was a kid. Hated it. Could not stand it. Didn't understand how this could be a real food. I mean, even as I became an adult, I changed a little bit. But I think as a kid, I mean, I thought, well, how good can food be that primarily I hear it as a color of paint? That can't be that good, really. And from my perspective, as it was forced on me, it just, yuck. The texture's just mush, right? I mean, it, it looked like watered-down mud. I mean, mud's bad enough, right? But then water it down and eat that. So I, I just thought of it, I don't know what this stuff is. I'm a little kid. It's like, what did they do? Did they take like some, what once was good food and just smash it and smash it and smash it to successfully remove all potential flavor or goodness from it? I, it's like, come on. I hated it. Then my dad goes through this phase of life where he introduces something that ended up I thought, that just looks like a different kind of oatmeal as far as I'm concerned. And in his mind, he was being nostalgic. He was, he was remembering his Marine Corps days down in Camp Lejeune in North Carolina and this wonderful food that he wanted our whole family to have. Oatmeal, at least it was stuck in the breakfast table. This stuff would show up at dinner time even. I've mentioned maybe a few of you know the McNulty family growing up. Pat was my age. We were good buddies. He had an older brother named Sean. Sean knew everything, or so I thought, as he was that much older than me. And so this thing that Dad had brought into my life, I, I told Pat and Sean about it. He said, I know what that is. I know exactly what that is. Yeah, what that is is 
you know, you know what algae is on lakes, right, Nick? I said, yeah, I've seen that. Well, this is produced on freshwater lakes, and it's just a tiny little bug. And, the, and, and in the, later in the year, fresh, it's got to be freshwater lake, they harvest this off of the lakes, then they spread it out in the sun, dry it out, they shell it, and it's these little bugs, they have 12 tentacles, but they get just kind of sucked out. You don't really notice those because it's, it, when it gets dried out, that's what, that's what happens. And I'm thinking, what? That's what they're giving me? And some of you have heard me complain about this in the past. My dad wasn't in love with eating bugs. It was grits. But as far as I was concerned, it's what is this? What is it? And so, with that being said, that story always reminds me of Exodus 16, which I think you'll get in a moment. I'm going to read through most of the chapter. Follow along if you'd like. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 and then 13 through 35. So it's a little long, but it's, it's a... It's this amazing story of God interacting and caring for his people. So follow along in your own Bibles or on the screen. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. It's just amazing how revisionist our history or our memory can be on things. Uh, Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Down to verse 13. That evening, quail came and covered the camp And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, which is about two quarts, for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to melt. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, 
two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white, like coriander seed, and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna, which is, again, one day's worth, and keep it for the generations to come, so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law law, so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to the land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. So, chapter 16 of Exodus reminds me of grits. Verse 15, if you follow along, they said, what is it? What is it that you have placed before us? They're mystified. In Hebrew, the question that they were asking basically was this, man who? Man who? Man nah. What is it? They named it the question. What is it? That's what they named it. This is, what is it? Now, that's significant because it isn't so important what it is in the sense of its makeup, so to speak. What matters the most is where it came from. That's defining what it is. They didn't know what it was. They couldn't name it, but they did understand this is from God. I've never had anything like this before, but the main thing is this is from God. That's what they understood. Now, over the years, there have been many theories and lots of speculation on what is manna? What is it? What is it? Well, if you were to go to uh, the Sinai Peninsula today and you were to hang out with a bunch of Bedouins who are in the location of the wilderness that the Israelites were going through at this time, 
they would tell you they know exactly what manna is. In fact, they would tell you that they gather it every day and they bake it. And guess what they call it? Guess what the name of it is? Manna. Now, so what is it that they're talking about? What they're talking about is, is uh, there are tamarisk trees there. And tamarisk trees, they can, they can have a sap that some refer to as manna, but most commonly what they're referring to is there were the, these bugs, plant lice or something like that, that would eat from the tamarisk tree, and they would secrete this yellowish-white stuff that would look like little drops or flakes on the ground, and it would, they had to pick it up daily to bake their bread. The Bedouins because it would be eaten by the ants and it would be gone. So there's a lot of similarities here, isn't there? And some of you are going, oh man, he doesn't believe in miracles. He's trying to explain away the miracle. I'm telling you, absolutely not. Because even if that was the way God chose to do it, there's so many miracles in him operating, like taking something that was there and then having it so tightly regulated by him that every sixth, every seventh day, it would stick around for an extra day, that it would, would go away at about mid-morning, and on and on it goes, that there would be all kinds of miracles in that. This is an important thing that I'm, I'm going to push into you, because if right away when I started talking like that, about that it might have been, and I'll tell you, could it, have, could it be that? Sure. I don't think it is, personally. But this is what God does. God does this all the time. Lord, I've got 5,000 people to feed right before the text that I read you. Guess what he did? You, so many of you know this story. He didn't go, Father, drop a ton of stuff down here. He said, hey, you guys got any fish? You got any, any bread? And they gave it to him, and he took what was real, what was part of that existence, and he expanded it. He clearly made a miracle from it. You think if he wanted to deal with, with, with Jonah and Jonah's rebellion against him, how did God do that? He used a storm, which is a pretty natural thing in our world, and he had him swallowed by a fish. That's why I want us to be thinking in terms as we walk through this next few moments together, are we missing out? Do we think that it has to be a certain way? Again, it, there might be still a couple of you going, oh man, he's making me nervous. No, I believe firmly in the miracles of Scripture. I'm just saying, are we missing out on stuff that doesn't look like miracles and it's God doing things? Because God is in it. He is way more involved than we naturally give him credit for. It's really important that you and I remember that. Because the bread of heaven you might be tempted to think that if it truly, Lord, send down the bread of heaven and it needs to be a chocolate chip banana loaf or a really buttery croissant or garlic naan is really good too. Something like that. 
Because when we think like that, then we don't notice the amazing ways in which he meets our needs that aren't quite as spectacular in my skewed thinking as the breath that you just took. It's all a miracle what God is doing in his engagements in us. When we don't, when, when we think that it has to be miraculous to be from God and miraculous in the sense of how we define it, man, we are just gonna miss out. On the other hand, if you have a sense of expectation, if you are operating like, there is bread of heaven, oh man, it's coming. I just gotta keep my eyes open. I just gotta pay attention to see what God's doing. I gotta talk to other people and ask them, what's God doing? Tell me about blessings you've had in your life. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's, let's do life together. Then nothing is too ordinary to be understood that as Jesus took a few pieces of fish, a few loaves of bread, and fed thousands, why can't he work with bread and fish and whatever in our lives today and for us to recognize it? For us to truly say, wow, what is it? It's... Manna. It's bread from heaven. It's God's care for you and for me. It's what he does. Because if we're not careful, what happens if I am so consumed with it needs to look this way, it needs to be a miracle like this, bread from heaven needs to look like this, what we do is we worship that thing instead of the hand that gave it to us, instead of the one who's constantly engaged, who's constantly pouring things into our lives. So when this, this text, this long text, thank you for following along with that. It's an incredible story, isn't it? It's just amazing. It's about a month or so after they have left Egypt, and th- this is incredible what they've experienced, right? Right? They cried out to God, God, will you hear us? We are in oppression. We are slaves. And God heard them. And you heard last week from from Tom, uh, he prepared and sent Moses to them. And then God brought forward these plagues and the Passover, and he rescued them, and he set them free, and he took them through the Red Sea, and here we are, and it says the people are hungry, and they're grumbling. Now, it, it doesn't blast them for that, really, so it's understandable. Go, Man, I, we are hungry, but there's this undercurrent, and we know, if you know the whole story, they got a problem with grumbling. Any of you have a problem with grumbling? I think some of you do. I think we all have a little problem with grumbling. Because we, again, think that God should do it the way we want it done, and we question God's ways of doing things. Many of us don't remember what we have been set free, just like them. It's a month out. It's like, oh, man, I'm hungry. Do you realize what got you to this point, and you're kind of a complainer? How guilty can we be of like, Jesus Christ died for me. I am set free. Sin has no power over me. And look at the other ways in which bread of heaven has come down to my life. But it's kind of like, God, what have you done for me lately? In fact, when I ask that, I mean, what are you doing right now? Because I've got some stuff I want. 
There's such a tendency to be like Israel, to, to have memories that, that as they look back at Egypt, if you paid attention in those first few verses, they are going, oh man, we used to have the best pots of meat in Egypt. This moment in time, maybe they did have this most magnificent meal ever. Incomplete bondage and oppression. That was their big context, but they remember this like, oh yeah, that, that was really good. Oh, can we do that? Oh, can I do that? Because I'm weak. Because I desperately need grace, and thankfully God gives it to me. So, like Israel, we can be attracted to that, not trusting God. We can, we can be so attracted to those momentary pleasures and, and those things like that instead of peace with God, instead of lives of significance, of service for each other. We can cling to those sins and cling to Egypt, whatever that might be. My way of doing things, my selfishness, everything going my way. And God wants us to see the big picture he wants us to see the bread of heaven that is pouring into our lives. So it's, it's really not difficult, I'm guessing most of you would agree, to know that we're not in the promised land yet. And that's really an important thing to know if you are going to go through this life and believe that God is keeping his promises, that he's keeping his word. We are not in the promised land yet. And just as he met the Israelites in bringing them into the promised land, the geographical promised land, he wants us to know that this journey we're on matters. It is significant. All through this journey, we are people of light in a world that needs to know that we're people who have, are loved by God so that we can love other people. But we're in a wilderness, and sometimes it's hard we're in a place where it says that God is testing us. And by that, it's not testing us so that we fail. It's testing us to strengthen us. It's testing us that our faith might grow. It's, it's nourishing us. It's, it's caring for us. It's shaping us. And it's magnificent. And sometimes it's really hard. But God never fails. And we're on a journey that is bringing us to heaven. And the goodness of God meets us along the way. So, again, what is it? The people asked. Said, it's the bread of the Lord. It's what he's given you to eat. Really? I don't know. I think I'm going to, okay, but I, I kind of am going to make some adjustments to that, I think. Yeah, yeah. Glad to know he, he has some, something to say here. Manna is a, is a gift from God and God, when God speaks, when God does something, doesn't it make sense that we should listen as not God? But sometimes we don't. Sometimes we think we know best. He's not going to really force it. In fact, in the wilderness, I mean, there it is. Eat it. It's, it's your gift. It's going to give you everything you need. No. If they didn't in the wilderness, they would die. And today God comes to each of us with his spiritual food that will give us all of eternity in the presence of God. But some will say no. So God's gifts come and God says, this is how it's coming. This is how you do it. Do it. 
and some didn't. So every morning, the manna comes, and God makes very clear. He said, it's, it's gonna, the dew's going to go away, and there's the manna. Go out and get it. Because by mid-morning, it's going to be gone. And so you could be lazy and go, I, yikes, I've never been a morning person. I, I'm not going to go out there and get it. Well, that's going to be gone. Because God is God and he can put it there just how he wants. And then there's other people who, let's say they're greedy, or maybe they're lazy too. And they go, I don't want to have to go out every day. I'm going to gather a couple days worth at least. And so they get that and, and it turns bad and it says that very clearly. Because God said, no, I'm giving you what you need for every day. Do you believe me? Do you trust me? This is exactly what you need. And then that seventh day came around, or the sixth day, actually, because the seventh day was the Sabbath day. And this is, this again, it's like, you can't explain this by just nature. This, this, is a, this is a miracle no matter how this happened. On this one day a week, gather a double amount, and you're going to keep it in the same place in your tent or whatever, that every other day it would have rotted and it would have stunk, it would have Worms, maggots, whatever. But today, it won't. It's going to be just perfect for two days. And you'll be tempted to go, I don't know about that. I, I mean, I see that it doesn't keep. It's got a really short shelf life. I'm just going to go get some on that seventh day. You can see how all these pictures, and, it, and we see in the passage that this happened. They did this kind of thing. Can you relate? Can, can we relate to God going, I got it. Nick, I have got you. Uh, okay, God. Uh, but I'll still worry. I'll still try to control things. God wants us to understand that he is God and I am not. That he has come to me with just what I need. That he has declared the way things are. But just like the Israelites did this, I can be tempted to think that I know best. I've got desires. I've got opinions. Some of them I might hide from you. Some of them are just flat out sin, but oh, I like them. Some of them are just, I just don't like the way God does this, and, and I've got an opinion on this. We think of it like when, when, when if you're my age, if you remember Burger King commercials, what would they tell you? Have it your way. Yeah. And I was like, God, yes. You, I'm going to pull you out of my pocket because I got plans here. So today, I'm meeting family at, at Pizza Ranch, the greatest restaurant in the world. Why? Because you can have wings and Chicken, anything on a chicken, and pizza, and a salad bar, and drink tea, and then dessert pizza. Oh, anything you want. Anything you want that you want, and you avoid what you don't want. Stupid vegetables, get out of here. If there were grits and oatmeal, get, I'd bring it into the kitchen and say, keep this away from people. We, we... We treat God kind of like that. Like, I, I like this, I don't like this. But God is God. So God declared, I'm going to take care of you, Israelites. 
for about 14,600 days, I'm gonna give you manna. And it is just what you need. You could not make it on your own. I am the one who's getting you through. And this is how it's going to be done. Towards the end of that passage, it said that, that uh, God told Moses and Aaron, you know, take one day's worth, put that in the, in the ark, and uh, guess what? It never got maggots, ever. Never had any bad smell. God is doing miraculous things. Why did he tell him to do that? Why did he tell them, and why do I tell you? Because God wants us to remember what he's done. God wants us to know what he's done, what he did on the cross, and what he's done in your life, the things you can remember, the things you need to claim today. Because guess what? For me and for you, more than likely, there's going to come some things in our future that we're going to need to have our faith strengthened by what God has already done. Remember it. Remembering things is big to God. So all this stuff from Exodus 16 is really just pointing us to the Savior. What is it? It's the bread from heaven. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus going, I am the bread of life. Nick, you and the crew gathering at Oak Hill, I'm the one that you need. No matter what is going on in your life today, no matter what joys, no matter what sorrows, no matter what struggles, Jesus Christ is coming to you and going, you know what you need? You need me. You know what your soul needs to feed on? It's Jesus. You know what the deepest desires and needs of your heart are? It's Jesus, whether you know that or not. Because Jesus knows himself best. Why do we eat something? We eat something, well, we should. I mean, I eat way too much of something because it tastes good. But even that. Psalm 34, God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Eat of the Lord. Jesus declared in the passage that I read, he said that he is the, the bread of heaven. What he means by that, when we eat something, why, why do you do it for its primary reason? Because you need it. You need its nutrients. You need its benefits. You need what it delivers to you. So Jesus Christ goes, you need hope? You need peace? You need joy in your life? You need to know that your sins are forgiven? Eat. Believe. Trust. Have faith in Jesus. Eat of what he has done the death on a cross that took every one of your sins and nailed it there. You wonder how we're to live our lives. He says, eat from the pages of scripture of how I lived and know how to live. You feel weak and you feel like you can't get through. Then eat upon the resurrection of Jesus bursting forth from the tomb and find strength and hope and joy. This is the bread of heaven. So today, the last thing I want to say is I want to you to be on manna alert. I want you to think, Lord, where's this bread of heaven coming all the time? 
Because the bread of heaven, the way he does it, some really practical ways, some abstract ways, some absolutely miraculous ways, but most commonly, it is when you open up the pages of Scripture and it feeds your soul, and the Holy Spirit does that to you. It's when you gather together as the people of God and you open your lives to each other and you confess to each other and you're open with each other and you proclaim to each other the love of God. It's when you serve each other and, and Jesus says, when you do it to the least of these, you're doing it to me. All that is the bread of heaven. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the bread of life. You are the bread of heaven. Lord Jesus, you come in grace and truth. You meet our incredible need. You come to us in this life that sometimes is easy to see as a wilderness. Other times, it's a journey of great joy. But through it all, you are the king. You are the conqueror. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of all praise. Lord, it is good to be here today and lift our voices and have you lift our hearts and claim us as your own. Father in heaven, you have said we are your children. Because of what Jesus has done, the great overcomer of everything that could have stood in our way, we are children of God. Thank you, Jesus. Bread of heaven. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.